0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Brunwagoon. You will not get there if you wake up at 9 o'clock in the morning. No, it doesn't work. I really don't like this kind of motivational military quotes or stuff like this, even though it's 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's 6 o'clock in the morning, it's. it's yeah, you're gonna listen to a lot of those mistakes this morning, I believe. I was saying, is it 6 o'clock in the morning? Because it's the only time that I have to edit this episode, and. This episode is gonna be live in six hours, I would say, and I'm super happy to do that. I cannot leave it behind. I'm not gonna tell you what it's gonna be at the moment. Just wait a bit of seconds. First of all, I'm gonna be super, super quick here. Go to Spreaker, listen Calamaro, or go to Spotify and look for Broom Vagoon. or go to Apple Podcasts and do the same. And please be sure to subscribe, or even better, to rate this episode. Even if the best thing that you can do, because we don't care about being on top of the position or even worse of having a lot of subscribers. The only thing that we I love to do is to be in all over the smartphone or I don't know radio in your car or radio close to your bed of stuff similar to this. To your and to all the one of all the people around, so please share this episode with whoever you want, it's pretty, pretty important for me. Once that you've done this, just remember to send me a feedback on hello at calamaro.cc, that's my email, or just go on Instagram and look for calamarocc, on Twitter look for read calamaro, on Facebook and look for calamarocc, and yeah, just be sure to like my social profile or just send me a message. I'm super happy on having a lot of message for a lot of people. And just remember that probably if you have not done it, to send me a message with your address and everything in that way. You can listen, this is my coffee. Uh, You can uh, send me a message and then I will ship you one of the... Sorry, one of the amazing stickers that I still have inside of this house here, it's they're pretty good and I would like you to have a calamaro sticker in your laptop or even better to have a calamaro sticker on your, your... in the past places that you are gonna, yeah, arrive, where you're gonna arrive, that you're gonna climb, that's the verb. Wow, this morning is so difficult. Apart from this... What, ah yeah, another thing, a couple of... let's say one month ago I was Um, recording the interview with Josh from Save the Truck Bike podcast and now he's online. Just look around for Save the Truck Bike and you will find the last episode, the the episode last Wednesday was with myself, an interview to myself with all the background about my bicycle life, all the background of stuff that I'm doing and a lot of grammar mistakes in English. But that's another story. Let's go to the episode of today. I'm interviewing Max Leonard, the guy that I interview that I've met the first time at the Italarisist at Stones, and he made an amazing work republishing a book. Rough Stuff Climbing the Alps. I think there is also bicycle somewhere. But you're gonna get all the details as usual in the description below. And uh, listen to this guy, he's an amazing guy, really. We got a lot of fun in this chat. We are sharing the same spirit, and yeah, there's nothing better. The story of the interview today is pretty interesting. So it was the end of the resistance. You all guys over there, and um, let's say you all people know over there uh, what happened over there. So my kind of crisis, my almost crash, actually my nerve crashed really badly, and I came back. And Max was one of the first person that they met after in the after ride, drinking a beer and everything, and. After a short shot and a couple of made exchanges, now he's here. Hi, Max. How are you doing? Hi, Stefano. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, it's super. I'm super, super happy to have you here. I remember that we talked a bit about uh, yourself and your projects or whatever, but I didn't know at all that you were publishing running first of all isola press and then publishing this amazing book that now i have in my hands but maybe this is going too far so max max leonard you can maybe introduce yourself it's going to be better three of your words than two thousand of mine
1: <laughs> okay well yeah my name's max leonard i am i'm mainly a writer uh, i've been writing about cycling for about 10 years now i've made at least four or five books Uh, But I guess proper books I've made. First one was called Lantern Rouge, about the last guy in the Tour de France. Then I wrote a book called Higher Calling, which uh, really explores how we get obsessed by going uphill on bicycles and, you know, what we see in the mountains. And then around the time I was making that, I decided that there were some projects I wanted to do that worked better as photo books and not just words so I started a small publisher that's called Isola Press and made three books now Um first one was about bunkers the second one is an archive project pictures of guys riding Paris-Roubaix in the 1890s and the 1900s and the third one which is the one you got in your hand is called Rough Stuff Cycling in the Alps
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, that's something that we can keep it here, but we can say I'm actually waiting right now to have also the bunkers book in my hands because I'm obsessed by the bunkers <laughs> of the Second World War. I can tell you all the times that I'm going uphill, especially in the Alps, or also it happened um, on when I've been in the Flanders a couple of times over there. There are a bit more the bunkers of the First World War, but any times I always stopping and trying to get in and never look there and exploring. Wow, <laughs> yeah, for real yeah yeah, yeah. actually, maybe this is something that we can say straight away, why were you making a book about bunkers? i guess um
1: i I've lived in Nice for quite a while. I lived there for about a year and I've been to and fro for for years and years riding my bike in the mountains there and and working and uh writing there and okay as i was as I was just riding in the mountains there, like because you're so close to the border of Italy. I kept on seeing from you know as I was going up here. Like, this is all on road bikes, by the way. This is before gravel, really. Uh, okay. I kept on seeing these bunkers on the side of the road, and I and I was just thinking, what the hell is uh? I mean, why are these concrete structures here? Who, you know, what was so important about this region that that uh, made it uh, worthwhile to to you know drag all this concrete to the top of the mountain and and spend years, literally years, building these um building these concrete bunkers you know there's one on top of the Col de la Bonette which is one of the highest roads in the Alps and there's you know hundreds and hundreds in the Alpe-Maritime which is the the southern bit of the Alps that go into the ocean and so I got obsessed as well and I started looking into the history and then plotting them on a map and then hiking to find them and riding my bike and and getting stuck on trails and getting stuck in the snow and and picking my bike up and carrying it to the top of the hill over snow drifts and uh eventually I, I got so obsessed that I asked my friend who's a photographer, uh, a guy called Camille McMillan, um, who's a cycling photographer, but he lives in the Pyrenees, actually. Uh, I asked him to come with me and take pictures. And so we, we made this photo book together, um, which documents them as they sort of crumble into the mountainside. And also I wrote a little essay in it about the history and about why they
0: were there in the first place yeah it's it's so fascinating really but maybe i need to start a podcast about bunkers yeah well, I, uh, I mean, we can do something like a double voice podcast about bunkers and we can talk about that. no with an audience <laughs> of about five people right oh who cares who cares i actually starting from the niche that's what everybody is saying over there all the marketing gurus they say okay if you want to make a podcast you have to start on a niche I already started with a niche, especially now at this period. I'm talking uh, to okay, maybe maybe mainly cyclists, but in that case, it's gonna be really gravel cyclists, yeah. and it's already a small niche. But yeah, really talking about bunkers even smaller. But yeah, <laughs> great. But yeah, let's go back then to the amazing book that I have here in my hands. Probably you over there, you can you can listen to um, yeah the noise of that, and I'm talking about rough stuff cycling in the alps i'm not going to explain this thing again but just to tell you no just tell us the story tell you the story it's better okay
1: well i guess it was when i was researching the bunker book and when i was traveling and exploring around the alps near nice that i kept on you know you start off on the roads and then you get a bit more curious about what's going on and and so you find the gravel tracks and then you find the hiking routes and so I ended up taking my road bike. This was maybe four or five years ago, or even more, to to places that you don't quite expect to get to. And then, as I was researching online, um, you know, I researched the history of them and found out that a lot of the, a lot of the roads and a lot of the tracks and a lot of the gravel in the Alps, especially in that part, um, but on both sides, on the Italian and the French side, is is all um, military tracks, basically used to defend the border. And while I was researching that, I guess I saw a lot of references to uh, cyclists who were talking about this book called Rough Stuff Cycling in the Alps. And it was by a guy called Fred Wright. And it looked like he published it um, in about 2000, 2001. Uh, And there was some talk about it on the Rough Stuff Fellowship, which is the club based in the UK dedicated to uh, riding bikes off road. and. I saw it on different forums, and I tried to buy a copy, and I couldn't find one anywhere. It was it was impossible to get hold of, and um, I tried German web websites, and I, I wrote a letter that I uh, to an address I found for Fred, but I couldn't get it anywhere. And and all the t- all the while, more and more people, including myself, were getting more obsessed with riding gravel and and going off road and finding these places to ride. But obviously, it's it's not super easy to know where to go sometimes and and you know you it's, it's a voyage of discovery but having someone to to suggest some places to go or you know to places to show you the way was it was a felt to me like it'd be really helpful and then um at some point I started talking to a guy called James Olsen who you probably know of he, he uh
0: I had it. I I had him in my podcast, something uh, like uh, well, one month ago, two months ago. Yeah,
1: James and I, before the first TNR, we we started talking about um, gravel routes in the Alps because I saw what he was doing with the, with, uh, the Torino Nice rally before it started and, and wanted to know where he was going. And I wanted to give him some advice if he needed any. Not that he did need any in the end, but yeah, he knows it way better than me and he's a much better <laughs> rider. He's uh he's a pro and i'm i'm just uh i'm just a writer <laughs> okay. but uh, so I, I anyway anyway we were talking about fred wright and and it turns out that he had a copy of the book. no way yeah. <laughs> sorry okay. Okay. well i mean and for for james as well as a lot of other people this book has been an inspiration if if you've got one of the hundred copies that fred made in 2001 uh you really treasure it and yet fred wrote it on his local uh, library computer. And he and he printed it at the local stationery shop and he bound it there. And so it's it's an incredible, like very low tech book made of A4 paper printed like on a word document, word processor. (laughs) He made about 100 and that was it. And James said that he'd been in touch with Fred and James lent me his copy of the book. I emailed Fred, who is now 82. OK, asked him if it would be okay with him to republish. And that's really how it started. It was it was thanks to James. Uh, thanks in part um, to Stefan from Pania, who got behind the project quite quickly and um, was really enthusiastic and helped me publicize it. But really, it was me taking the lead from those guys and talking to Fred and then running a Kickstarter and taking off like that.
0: It's crazy. It's really an amazing, crazy story. Now I can actually put all the dots together. I can understand how obsessed yeah. is James. Well
1: he he planned a lot of the Torino Nice um with Fred's help, with Fred's roots, and I think James was very keen that uh this book and the knowledge wouldn't wouldn't die out because if there's only a hundred copies and, and you know they're they're all gone and they're you know, probably on some people's bookshelves and some of them might not even exist anymore. So, you know, James is very passionate about it, like me. And so he just, he wanted this thing to keep on living. And and that was the main motivation for all of us, I guess.
0: Yes. And just a a stupid question, then we'll go back to your book and everything, (laughs) but... Alfred actually um I don't know distributed the book because you were saying that he made everything on the lap the computer, sorry it's gonna be for sure a super old uh, desktop computer from the local library. Yeah, then he printed somewhere in a copy shop or whatever. Exactly. How did he distribute it?
1: Uh well through the Rough Stuff Fellowship. He um Ah okay. Yeah, I think I I don't think he was uh, part of the organization of it, but um all these roots that the roots aren't all Fred's. he collected them together from different people and a lot of them were rough stuff fellowship members over a a period you know i think the oldest roots in the book are from the 1950s and uh, they were collected together at first by a guy called clem clements who was the rough stuff fellowship um secretary for a long time and he made some I i assume they were photocopies or He he privately published it and circulated it with his friends. And then later on, this was in the 1980s, I think. And then Fred took all the roots and added his own roots and then republished it or published it officially for the first time in
0: 2001. Okay. Come on. That's really an amazing uh, story.
1: Fred, um, I mean, Fred's amazing. Um, He...
0: Uh, tell us exactly. Tell us about the character Fred itself.
1: Yeah, he he's he was super super cool, and he so a lot like I, I I don't want to make the book sound unprofessional because it's a you know it's an amateur project, but Fred actually worked for um a big publisher in the UK, so a lot of the things about the book are absolutely spot on. You know the the copy editing, the sub editing, the spelling. There's really nice maps in there, um, and I think he just he just was passionate about the mountains, and so he would go every year it looks like in his summer holidays and just explore further in the alps and he'd you know this was in in the i think primarily in the 80s and 90s and in the early 2000s so he was 40 50 60 when he was going but there was no gps there was no google there was no um, you know online maps so what he would be doing was he was just buying the best most appropriate map like looking at the routes between one road and the next and thinking oh well there's a road in this valley there's a road in that valley there look looks like there's a path up there i'm going to take the path and you know this is it was real real exploration and real riding and real uh improvising on the spot and and uh we're lucky now i mean I really like all the modern tools we have. I think GPS is obviously fantastically useful and I like sharing information and I like uh, everything you can do to make sure that you're not going to get into trouble or you're not going to, you know, end up, a, you know, 10 kilometers up a dead end. But, but um, you know, for Fred to go and do that and then to pass on this information that he got from just his raw experience is is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, it's no, it's really an incredible thing. But what did he tell you? Uh, did he write all the passes and all the yeah, the trails and everything that are mentioned in this book? Or
1: well, uh, well, he collected them together from from different sources, um, from people in the rough stuff and from Clem Clements. And you know, it, he ended up giving me some of his diaries and a lot of his photos. And so, I guess he's done. 20 years of exploring in his summer holidays but I don't think he wrote wrote everything and and he's very um careful to credit in the book where he's using someone else's experience you know he he crowdsourced it in and you know he used the community that he had then and you know some sometimes he talks about our correspondent reports that this this is what he found and sometimes sometimes he writes that and he's actually the correspondent but he I think he would say that he's not the author of the book he's he's the compiler and and um he was bringing together the the community's knowledge and so when I republished i w- w- really wanted to bring new roots into it and to bring new people in and and to you know, get that community sense and I, and Fred was very keen that we uh, we add to it and you know keep it going and and make it bigger and make it better.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just maybe uh, something that I want to try to understand because, uh, yeah, let's say uh, my orientation is not the best one, but uh, having this book, let's say, I have in my bookshelf, I have this book. Actually, now I have it in my hands. Um, how would you use it? Would what do, What's this in your mind? Something like use it as an inspiration and then making some other research in order to discover the points that are described here? Or... It's really something that you can use as my only source or principal source for discovering.
1: I would say it's, it's for me, when I've used it, well, what I should first say is that, you know, everyone was saying, you know, did you, have you written a lot of the roots in the book yourself? And, you know, I have to say, no, actually, I, I haven't written a lot. I've written a lot of them in my area around Nice where I was living and in some of the French Alps and some of the Italian Alps. But, but, you know, the whole point was that I couldn't find the book, so I couldn't, I couldn't do the roots and that was why I wanted to republish it. Um, yes. But I would say that when I've, you know, when I did get it, when I have used it and the way that James uses it and, uh, you know, other people have told me is, is that I I think it's intended as, one of your main sources of inspiration for where you might want to go and and we had some debates about this actually when i was running the kickstarter because some people were saying oh you should provide gps coordinates and oh you know the maps aren't detailed enough but but really i i I like the idea that it's a very low tech like old old school way of doing things and you know, the maps are I think it's the whole Alps really in, in sixteen maps. So it's a very high level map. It shows you like say if you're say if you're in uh if you're in the Alp maritime if you're at Cold La Bonnet and you want to get to Nice, you know, that's a hundred and something kilometres and it'll show you the roads that go down that way, obviously, but then it'll show you where the rough stuff sections are and where the gravel is. So you can say, Okay, I'm going south. I could either take this road over this coal or I could take this gravel path over this coal and go this way and that, and and then use other sources, you know, go to a proper, go to a proper map, go to Google Earth, go go to Street View, go to Google Maps, go to Ride With GPS or Strava or or Komoot or whatever you use to map your things. And that's where you do the detail. But, you know, Fred did everything with a paper map and and i have taken his book out with me in my in my saddle pack and used it with a map and you can follow the directions they're really they're really really good but you know i'm keen that people use all the resources they have at hand to be as safe as possible and to make sure they've got as much chance of success so so while i would i would say yes you can take the book and take a map you know like a real map like a ign or um or you know a, a ordnance survey, a Michelin map, one of those. I would say that really this is this is what you start with as your inspiration, and then you use more you know more modern things to actually help you along the way as well.
0: Yeah, and that's something that also, as I remember, he says at the end in the appendix, says, "Okay, uh, I really tried to put a lot of details on the thing that I wrote and all the description or whatever, but here I put also all the references." To the maps where you can find more details and you can plan probably yeah yeah not pr- not pro yeah not properly but you can plan it a bit more precisely yeah yeah and
1: actually the map references are a pain in the bum because um because,
0: <laughs> okay. because the
1: maps have have changed in the you know in the time since Fred published it first time and and so we had to go through and and see which maps were still current and which weren't and we went to uh, Stanford's which is an amazing uh, map. Bookshop in central London, and, and they let us look at their maps all day, which was really cool. But, um, wow. but, 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 yeah, basically, I would say that you know, Fred relied on a proper map, and I think you know, that kind of proper map is is important, especially if you're going, you know, a long way off road and you're going up high and you want to know where you're. You want to know where the villages are. You know if there's a refuge, this kind of thing. And and Fred's descriptions will help you with that. But I think it's really everyone's responsibility to to make sure they're as prepared as possible, right?
0: Yeah, it makes completely completely sense. Going back all to the passes, everything that is um, mentioned here and described pretty pretty precisely here. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but I would love at a certain point to know which one were the favorite passes of Fred. I cannot ask him right now because he's <laughs> not on my microphone, <laughs> but I can ask you, which one are your favorite ones? What, what? Which one have you done and which one are you planning to do? What have I done?
1: I, I mean, yeah, like I said, the bits I know well are in the southern part of the French Alps. So so I've done bits around the Mercantile quite a lot. I've done Col de Tonde, which is a pretty good um, pretty good gravel climb. The Ville del Sale, which um, he's done, which... Is also part of the Torino Nice now. Um, that's an amazing se- section of ridge roads, which is about, say, it's about forty kilometers long, and you, you're up a lot along the peaks on the um, on the French Italian border. That's pretty special. I've not done Asietta or um, or other one of some of the other ridge roads like that, but I, I imagine it's kind of the same kind of thing. Um, I went on a trip this this uh summer in june to go do some in in southern italy or well, southern italian alps but um i got there too early and it was still um you know we had a lot of snow this year so it was still uh blocked but um what do, what do i want to do i would like to t- see some more really france is my specialty france is 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 what i lo- where i love to be and i've i speak french and i live there and um a lot of what I love about cycling is, is connected with, you know, those landscapes and, and, and Italy too. And I would like to explore Switzerland a lot more, but, um but, you know, but I guess what I do when I go exploring is I go to the same place and try and go deeper and deeper. I'm, I'm not like the kind of guy who, you know, I don't want to go heading off to, you know, overland from, from, london to asia or something i i'm happy to go to one place and go deeper and deeper and deeper into the into the landscape and you know connect more with it and find out more about it that's that's what's good with me
0: yeah i can see the point actually i can tell you that uh, maybe that's something that i can say is that the way that i'm actually using this book so um i received it the same week that i was going uh, to toros de gravel in mallorca one of my first Let's say um gravel experience of my life. The first, the f- exactly first one was La Resistance, where we were there together. Uh, the thing that I've done, I just put it in my bag, in my really small bag, because the big bag was the one with the bicycle inside. Yeah. And I take, I took it with me on the plane, and I was putting some circles on the things that I want to do. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And um, you
1: know, like I, I think it's, you know, I think Fred and it intended it as, as something for people who are touring so so you know it's it's something where you can say okay i want to go from i want to go from you know like uh Torino nice or i want i want to go from from uh, Zurich to Turin or i want to go um you know grenoble to somewhere and 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 then you can start linking places and it it gives you all this kind of really amazing inspiration for for where you want to go and and I've now been back through the outs again and, and trying to look at little bits and just, just see how to link things up because the gravel roads and the paths, they you know obviously they you know, a path always goes somewhere pretty much. And, but they, they take you on a different route to the road. And usually it's, it's a bit more difficult and you see some very uh, beautiful things you wouldn't see, but, but um, it, it really helps me understand how the Alps work. If you see what I mean to, to, to go from these roads that I know well, like, you know, the, you know, I've been on Isoard or Galibier or something like that a lot of times, and I've been guiding people there and that kind of thing. But but if you do that a few times and then suddenly you take a road and you go left and you go up over a different col, and you come down on a gravel track somewhere else. And, and it really sort of helps you understand how it's put together. And, and for me, that's very inspiring.
0: Yeah, 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 it is. Actually, I'm more on the person on doing something like, I don't know, backpack at the moment, I would say. Uh, Doing backpacking, so taking something like one week, several days, so something like a bit more experience like the Torino Nice that you were mentioning before. I'm more something like, okay, going and exploring, taking a full day or maybe a weekend and exploring one place yeah so instead of moving from one side to the other uh, probably because i'm still not too much too experienced Mm -hmm. in order to do that but it's something that is going to change so that's why it puts only some circles around the stuff that (laughs) i want to do and i know for sure that that's something that i wanted to do on the road since a long time is the Code de la croix okay yeah yeah that's something that I would love to do, really. I Actually, really now moving the pages in that way and trying to see what they want to do. Jafro, the same. I've done it as well on the road, but I would love to do also the gravel part. And then obviously there is the Clausen Pass and the Pragel Pass. There is actually a way that uh, yeah, links one to the other and then yes, yeah, so all the parts over there in uh, in Switzerland and then obviously the thing that they would really want to do is go in in uh down to Italy and do all the path uh, the the path and the trails that you would find in the Dolomites
1: yeah and and i think if you want any advice let let me know but the, the fred's descriptions are actually really funny about the places he's been and and he he likes things that are very hard like you know he'll carry his bike up incredible tracks that you know I don't think anyone ever thought a bicycle you know he just was riding a rally touring bicycle with with 15 gears and panniers and he would actually wear a rucksack it seems <laughs> so that when he got to somewhere where it was really difficult to carry the bike he put, he put all his gear in his rucksack so that the bike was very light and so you know he could carry it easily and um i mean it's yeah really really interesting what he did and and for i guess for people like me and maybe a lot of people who come in it's gravel riding from road riding it it just helps you get your kind of sense of uh i guess it, there's something childlike about it you know you go to this place you thought you knew and then you go play on your bike and you find some new find some new paths and some new tracks and and um that's what i really like about it and I guess when I republished the book, I thought, well, if I'm looking for this book, there must be other people looking for it too. So, so there'll be people around who who wanna who wanna see it and who wanna support it, and I was glad and I was lucky to find out that that was true.
0: Yeah, actually, going back to um, the Kickstarter campaign and all the distribution parts and everything like this. Um, I've seen actually that your, really, the response on the Kickstarter campaign that you have made was incredibly wow. Really was something, I don't know if you were expecting something like this, but it was amazing. What do you think that people were looking for? So, because it's something like, the thing that I've seen, it's something like maybe analyzing it or whatever, it's something like people were looking for, A book like this, or this—I don't know if this exact book, or book like this, or whatever—because they were really in the way on their way to exploring new things or stuff like this. Did you get the same feedback from people, or you've seen or you felt something different?
1: No, I I agree. I mean, I think that you know, gravel riding is something, or whatever you want to call it, it has something that has grown over the past few years, and and I think we're at, at a point where where people really wanted to find something like this. And I I knew that, you know, me as, as I got, you know, I was writing a book about the Alps anyway and about mountains more from a road riding angle. And, and I was, I kept on finding, I was being dragged into these side explorations of, you know, things I wanted to find out and things I wanted to know and places I wanted to go and, and finding references, this references to this book that I wanted to see, but I couldn't. And, and I knew that that you know if if that was me, I wouldn't be the only guy. I'm not like I'm not a unique genius in that way. Um, so so I, I thought that as gravel, as that kind of riding and bike packing and that that kind of spirit was growing, that there'd be people who wanted to. Um, but I guess I, you know it was the right thing to do at the right time. And and I have you know because I've written some books before, I have some good you know i have a few people that follow me i i have i've written for magazines i've i've got friends at you know some companies around you know around cycling and uh i've worked with Stefan from Pania cc before and i i thought well if i'm looking for someone to partner then you know he seems like the right person in exactly the right place and you know then he brought his audience to it as well so so I knew that I knew that I that there was a community who'd be interested in it and there so on on the kickstarter I just tried to do the best kickstarter I could um I set a very low target because you know really I was I thought I'm, I was wanting to do the book anyway it was just a question of getting as much support as possible at the start to make it as, as easy a process as possible and uh, I, I thought I was going to get my original target, which was for, which was enough to make about a hundred books. But in the end, on Kickstarter, we we made Well, about seven hundred people uh, committed to it, which was uh, I didn't expect it to happen that much or that fast. But I, I knew that it was an idea that was uh, that would find an audience. If you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see the point. Yeah, I will go a bit more on your personal side right now, and then we can still talk about the book, maybe. At a certain point, at the end, sure. the thing that I wanted to ask you at the moment is actually um, okay. Um, we know that actually um, you are an explorer. And at the moment, I can see you as something like an explorer discovering new places with your bicycle, or whatever. Before you were mentioning that you were a road cycling at the a cyclist at the beginning, but what? Which one was the trigger for you from moving from? Yes, road cycling to gravel cycling. I have something like a claim, a subtitle, I would say, of the podcast. I got it actually while I was riding uh, gravel uh, two weeks ago. That is, you would not get here with a road bike. So this is kind of, for my my idea, something like a claim that you can put on gravel riding. You will never reach some points with a normal carbon fiber, uh, really stiff bicycle yeah it's more about the exploration was it the the same thing for you
1: yeah it it was and it was it was a question of not doing the same things over and over again you know I've been lucky to to work in cycling and I've I've worked at the Tour de France a couple of times and and my first experience in the Alps was on a road bike I did a charity ride from Geneva to Nice and then you know since then I've I've done those same passes, lots of them, quite a lot of times, and um, I guess it was just, you know, you, you can't do the same thing, or at least for me, I can't do the same thing over and over again and still still feel so engaged with it. And so, you know, if, if you, it's that, it's a cliche, but you know, you you're, you come to a junction and usually you turn right, but then one day you decide to turn left, and you just you always want to see something new and what what's around the corner and what's over that hill. And, you know, if you go up there, then what happens? And it's, it's the same with, with, uh, it's the same kind of motivation with the bunkers or some stuff like that. It's like, if you're in the mountains and you're not looking at, um, you're not looking at what's going on around you. You're not looking at the, at the fort by the side of the road or, or, you know, looking, uh, talking to the shepherd and asking him what's going on with his life or, or, you know why is there this dam? Why is there a bunker? You know why is there even a road? Then that's the spirit in which I I go riding. I've never been like particularly a competitive rider. I've never been into racing. And then you know there's only so much. You're right. There's only so much you can achieve with a with a normal road bike. And I spent a lot of time with a friend called Anton in Nice. Um, he was the first guy really to take me off road there. But this was this was way before gravel bikes were a thing. And and I remember one ride we did was pretty funny. I I had new shoes, so I was trying to stay on my bike as much as possible, like a carbon road bike, because I didn't want to scratch my shoes. And another guy we were with had new wheels. So he was trying to, uh, as best he could not to hurt his wheels at all. So he was walking everywhere and I was trying to ride everywhere. And we were in some valley in between two roads outside of Nice and uh, just <laughs> in no good state at all. And then... I guess we could have ridden cross bikes and um tried that but but really I've been thinking about the gravel thing and uh that sort of bike was a very welcome thing to me and and been riding my road bike and doing a lot of touring and going a bit further and a bit longer and and you know trying to go across a country or across the Alps or something like that so so to me it was an idea that that had a lot of uh A lot of things going for it and and there's still a lot more to do even just in the alps i guess
0: yeah but it's not only the alps or your main goal is always to cycle in the alps do you have another kind of playground in your daily riding habits oh
1: i wish i'm stuck in london at the moment so there's there's not very much here at all there's
0: richmond park victoria park
1: yeah well uh, if you go out east into epping forest there's some trails that you can get on on a on a um Gravel bike if you've got the right tires and and it's not too muddy. But um, no, I mean I'm not I'm not a particularly epic rider. I, I wouldn't claim to be to be uh pioneering anything or or fast or. But I just you know I like France and I like Italy and and I, I'd like to explore more in Switzerland and I've I've done bits and pieces in Germany and I've ridden in the Pyrenees and in Spain. But but I guess I feel very European and I feel very connected to that part of the world and to the cultures around there and and i that's what i like exploring and i'd go i'd go further and i'd go higher and i'd go harder but but you know this has a lot for me
0: yeah i can see the point you were talking uh, you were mentioning bicycles and road cycling and road bicycles sorry and cross bicycle whatever okay we have to go to this question uh-huh. how many bicycles do you have in your cellar and which ones uh-huh.
1: well right now i have I guess I have like three and a half. If you count, I have an old Cinelli, but this is my carbon bike, which I haven't used for a long time, and it.
0: Okay, it was way- your road bike. Yeah, that's well,
1: that's that's my half a bike because um, actually I have uh, another road bike. It's a, a Ricky Feather steel bike um, made from XCR Columbus, which I actually had to give back to him for a little repair and a respray, and he must have had it for six months, and by the time I got it back. Uh, I didn't didn't want to ride my carbon bike ever again. I I, I just fell in love with it again. And and so the bike made by Ricky Feather is is my main road bike. Then I have a Stinner Frameworks 650B um, gravel bike slash touring bike slash adventure bike, whatever you want to call it, um, which I've done quite a lot of, like long touring on, you know, I've I've been across France, I've been through through Italy, that kind of thing, a mix of road and gravel with, you know, slick tires, I guess. But then I've I've used it with knobbly tires too, and gone a bit more serious uh, on the off roads, and I love that bike too. And finally, round town here in in London, at least, I'm riding a Bob Jackson fixed wheel.
0: Oh, okay. Which
1: is uh, which is um, great for London. And, and actually, I ride it a lot in the winter. I do a lot of w- winter rides, you know, long rides on it um, because I like riding fixed and it's pretty... Bad.
0: Brakes or no brakes?
1: Yes, a brake. One brake.
0: Okay, the front yeah. one.
1: Yeah. Okay. But, um, there's actually a long tradition in the UK of uh, club riders riding fixed wheel in, in the winter. And, and so we've always... I have ridden without a brake, but I don't think it's a particularly clever thing to do on the road. But we have a long tradition in the UK of people riding fixed wheel in, in the winter with brakes and mud guards, And uh, it keeps you warm. And it's I think it's good. Uh, it's good exercise. And it definitely keeps me, my mind more engaged as well. So um, I love that bike, but it's it's a bit of an old banger now
0: okay okay yeah okay i was suspecting a bit more bicycles but yeah i can (laughs) see i can see actually the the evolution of your bicycle riding. yeah three three is enough and yeah for sure (laughs) and yeah you have any other adventure in your life you are thinking of you can decide if you want to talk about writing adventure or let's say not writing adventure doesn't make sense a writing project that's the way with your Isola Press uh-huh. or if you want to talk about writing adventure, in that case it makes sense, or you want to talk about everything, which one is your next challenge?
1: Oh, gosh. I, I mean, I think a writing adventure sounds about right. I For me, it's it's all this, it's the same thing. You've got to set off in this. It's a kind of voyage of discovery. And what I'm going to write next, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm going to publish with Isola next, I've got some thoughts, but nothing nothing set in stone yet in fact I've got I've got a couple of trips coming up I've got a a, a small trip to Paris um, in a couple of weeks and then I'm talking at the Kendall Mountain Festival which is in the Lake District in the UK and and I'm super excited about that because it's it's not just it's not about bicycles really I, I don't know if there's many people there from from the cycling world there's I think there's mountain bikers but, but it's for it's for anyone who likes mountains and all aspects of of how people go to mountains and mountain culture and and so there's a few people I want to chat to there but um as for riding I this this year with this past couple of months I've been injured so I've not been on my bike but I've been um I've been hiking I've been I've been doing some good hikes uh in the mountains behind Nice again exploring some amazing um prehistoric carvings and valleys and that kind of thing and next year next year i I guess it's kind of the same i'd like to go on a long tour i had i've got a friend right now who's in greece and i really thought i'd love to ride to greece um you know in in october november but but that's not going to happen but next year i'd like to do torino nice rally i've i've for, i'm one of those guys who's talked about it for three years and hasn't managed it and and if if I was james I'd find that really annoying
0: so okay <laughs> I, okay I,
1: I need to go do that sometime especially because it's you know it's exactly in my part of the world and i and i love it um and i it looks like an amazing event um la resistance was was great and and I love those guys and maybe i will do some more stuff with them but but I don't know we'll see i i, I but you know i feel that I didn't make the best of the mountain season this year. You know, it's what we now, we're end of October. And so so the passes are closing and the snow's coming and, and we're kind of stuck, we're stuck in the valleys until May or June. And and so I feel like time is precious and, and we need to get out there again.
0: Yeah, don't worry. It's, it's going to be another year. You're going to do double of the <laughs> things that you've done before. No worries. Yep. Mountains, are, mountains are there. Yep. <laughs> they will not move. So exactly um what i wanted to say ah uh, yeah just maybe commenting a bit making a bit of a comment on what you said uh yeah resistance i think that i have something open over there so i was planning actually to do it again next year yeah because yeah uh having uh, let's say having the uh, this kind of crash that didn't uh, let me finish as i wanted this year mm-hmm um yeah it's something that i would love to do and i would love to do it with another spirit so for sure that is going to be there and i have the same feeling as you i've been talking about the torino Nice. now it has been a couple of years (laughs) i i'm talking with you right now about it i've been talking with john john woodruff yeah because he has has done it a couple of times as well and i've talked with james as well on this podcast so yeah but as i was saying i still need to put this is going to be a challenge. One of those things that I have to think, okay, that's something that I have to do and I have to kick off it properly, but I need to feel comfortable on the gravel rides yeah, yeah. before that. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Yeah,
1: I, I, the trouble is I really don't want to be one of those people that just talks about stuff uh, and then doesn't ever do anything. And so it's, it's embarrassing to me that I've talked about it so much. But okay, now now I've put it on tape. Uh, I'll have to go do it next year.
0: Okay, I'm going to actually... Make this recording is going to be done right now. And um, actually we're doing it. Then I'm going to put everything online and then together I'm going to, actually we put together an email. I'm going to send the email to James and to UNCC saying, okay, it's here, James. Then Max is going to come and make the Torino Yeah, next year. Yeah, this is our this is our official pledge. Exactly. It's here. Also because I believe it's really the perfect summary of all the things that we talked about today uh and this discovering gravel rides discovering riding in the mountains it's something that all of us love right
1: yeah and i think the spirit of it as well it, it just you know i i've been in nice when everyone's arrived and it's just ma you know it's a nice community event and and everyone's hanging out and it's it's just friendly and and i think that's the spirit in which i like to ride so so it feels yeah i think
0: yeah, and um, actually I can see, because there are several events, I would say, around the world, but just, maybe just now we can focus a bit more about Gravel. There are several events, and something is some one of those are um, races, and something else are rides, events, yeah. stuff. I've done both of them, and I can tell you that the right thing, the spears, the helping each other, the be together, the community, um, the sharing everything... It's something that really attracts me more than be the first.
1: Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. I I, I like the I, I, the idea of the events where there's you know you get a bit of competition but also a bit of bit of chill time like the um like Jill Coot or, or Grand Giro. But uh, I, I'm not very good at joining in at stuff because I, I guess because sometimes you know when you're a writer you spend a lot of time you have to be on your own so. So I, I kind of miss some of those community things sometimes, but I'd really like to get more involved.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you mentioned Grinduro. Duro. I was riding with Paul, Paul Arrington, yeah. two weeks ago. and Actually, we were exactly discussing about it. Grinduro Duro is a completely different beast mm-hmm. because it's really something, it's just go outside, chill out with your friends, enjoy, enjoy the weather. The weather usually is raining <laughs> up there, but <laughs> enjoy the time off, enjoy your time on the bike and everything but you have some section where you can also challenge yourself physically. And that's amazing.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, and yeah, the guys, the Chilkut guys in France have, have a similar thing going on with time sections, but, but not all of it. And, and I, 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 that kind of appeals to me too, because obviously we're, we all push ourselves in some way to, you know, whether it's, you know, facing up against a mountain or some other, some people prefer to race up, you know, other people, but there's always a psychological aspect, isn't there?
0: Yeah, I love to climb uphill. There's nothing to say. Something that really the really challenge that I like with myself. And if I have something like a long climb, maybe also super technical, stiff or whatever, and then saying, okay, next three hours is gonna be suffering. Yeah. That's the really thing that I like. Challenge really with myself. I don't care arriving uh first of my friend X because he has the I don't know, the KOM here or the K O M there. I just want to see myself on top of it. And then taking something like improving myself from time to time or all the times. That's the perfect thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I would say that we touched all the points, but I would like you to say where people can get in touch with the amazing book that I have in my hands. Again, Rough Stuff, Cycling in the Alps. And if you want to say also where you are going speaking in the next future, you mentioned already a couple of stuff or something else of your Isola Press, Advertise yourself. I know that you like advertise yourself.
1: Okay, well, I've got in the advert for Kendall already. That's Kendall Mountain Festival. That's in November. Um, okay. Aside from that, you can you can buy the books on isolapress.com. Isola is Italian, actually. I-S-O-L-A
0: yes island yeah. island
1: press isola press uh, uh isola my if you want to know more about me my website is maxleonard.com. but um but that's it really and it, it's been a pleasure
0: yeah great really really thanks a lot for actually the, the really the last question is out of curiosity why isola press
1: isola is a town that's in uh it's at the bottom of Codla la bonnet which is north of nice and it's a place that i've been to a lot i stayed there when i was writing one of my books there's bunkers there there's a beautiful nature and and uh it just seemed to me to be a a good name I, actually it was it was taken it was captured by the italians in the war but it's a french village and i think i think uh it's just coincidence that it's an italian name and it means isola it means a uh, island so uh, it just felt like a nice name to me, and it had a personal significance because it's somewhere I, I I like, and I like to ride, and it's very beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's no, it's something that uh, I'm asking you because it's something that means something, you know, because Isola is also a small. Yes, it's a small village. It is close to my birthplace down in Calabria. Isola Caporizzuda is the name. And it's an amazing, stunning place. I've been there a lot of times. The seaside is amazing. It's really, really good. And then also one of my favorite books, "L'Isola di Arturo from El, so- El Samorante. And so it recalls me a lot of stuff. That's why. This was something that I kept on the side, but I could not really avoid on asking you that. <laughs>
1: well, it's good. I, hopefully it's a name that... Um... That resonates, but yeah, it has a personal meaning to me.
0: Oh, okay, okay, great. Okay, cool. So I would say that it was a pleasure to talk with you, Max. Really, really great pleasure. I would say to everybody, try to get in contact with Max and um, to have this book because it's the perfect thing that you can have for exploration and also just to dream about mountains in the winter when when we cannot explore the mountains and we cannot climb the mountains but only ski the mountains if you can do it i don't know i cannot do it personally and uh, yeah it was really a pleasure and maybe we can talk offline about the project of the bunker podcast
1: for sure sounds good <laughs>
0: yeah great max thanks a lot yes definitely Bye. This chat with Max was really inspiring as usual, now I really want to pick up my 3T Explorer and go up to the Alps, but it's not possible because I already know it's covering the peaks of the mountains, but soon it's gonna come, spring is gonna come soon, like sun is gonna come as well because now it's completely dark. Thanks a lot for listening, especially this outro and also the intro of this sleepy episode, at least sleepy for my voice, but amazing episode thanks to Max. I just want to say thank you to you and thanks to my sponsor that I forgot to say thank you before, that is 3T. If you like this episode just remember that you can subscribe to this podcast or even better share this episode with your friends. And don't forget to rate, that's pretty important. Another thing is just go to... yeah, you are already here, but in case you forgot where you are, like I do at the moment, go on BroomVagon in Spotify or Apple Connect and subscribe and especially share this episode with everybody, please do it. Or just go on Kalamaro for all my episodes and all my yeah, all my episodes, all my podcasts, not only of this, but also of SpinCake. It was my first podcast, the first podcast of my life. All the same are the contact hello at calamaro.cc, my email, send me a message with your address. I'm gonna ship you as soon as I can some stickers and then also remember that you have instagram.com slash calamarocc, calamarocc on instagram, read calamaro on twitter, and Kalamaros uh, is also on Facebook. That's it for this morning. I'm going edit in this episode, Kisses.